Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. First Peter 3.15 reminds us that we should always be ready to give each man or woman an answer or reason for the hope that lies within us and to do so with gentleness and respect. As Christians, we must be equipped to answer the questions that others may have about our faith. If someone were to ask you, why is it that you worship? You ought to be able to respond with a Bible-based answer. If someone were to ask you, why is it that you contribute money to the church to run the ministry of God, you ought to be able to give them a Bible-based answer. If someone were to ask you, why is it that you pray? We ought to be able to give them a Bible-based answer. Because God, even before we were born, God had a plan. God had his word. And his word, as we know, is eternal. And before we got here, God's agenda was already in process. So we as believers, God is saving us. And as part of this saving relationship, he wants us to know more about him and more about his word. So how would the world know what Christianity is if the Christians themselves are ignorant of the doctrines associated with Christianity. And these doctrines were not composed by men and women. These doctrines were given by God himself. God is the author of the Bible. And what he wants us to know, even in our finite existence, God wants us to know about him as much as he's revealed to us. And one of the most controversial doctrines in Christianity deals with the divinity of Jesus Christ. The divinity of Jesus Christ. The godness of the Messiah. And if you speak to a Jehovah's Witness, they will tell you that Jesus is God, but a lower God than the Father. If you speak to a Mormon, they will inform you that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. If you speak to a Muslim, they will inform you that Jesus is just a good prophet. So when we talk about the divinity of Christ, not everybody that claims to believe in Jesus embraces the divinity of the Messiah. So it's imperative. It's important that we that are believers, we that are Christians, not only follow the traditions and the doctrines 
postulated by the early church fathers, but that we follow the Bible as written. And scripture tells us internally that if we take away from what God has already revealed to us, he would take away from us. So it's important to understand that divinity of Christ and not only to understand this doctrine, but to put ourselves in a position where we can unpackage it for others. Again, if we as believers do not know, number one, what the divinity of Christ represents, then how can we expect the world to embrace it? So we must learn what the teachings are in terms of crisis ontological existence. And by ontological, I mean his nature. Nature wise, Jesus added on humanity, but he never lost any divinity. Uh, some theologians call it the kenosis effect where he emptied himself into a human existence, but yet he never let go of his divinity. So when we use the term, the divinity of Christ, what we're saying essentially is that Christ is God. In the same way we ascribe divinity to the father, Jesus himself is also divine. He is the second person of the triune God. Now, anthropomorphically speaking, we can use this in a finite illustrative way. I've heard some ministers say that if Jesus uh, is God, then he shares the same DNA as the father. But please don't misunderstand me. We can't confuse the persons within the Godhead. We're not saying that Jesus is the father. We're saying that Jesus is equal to the father. I know there's uh, some teachings out there that says that Jesus is the father in the old Testament. And then he processes himself to becoming the son. And then he also processes himself to become the Holy spirit. That is the doctrine of modalism perpetuated by the early theologian Sibelius. And that particular doctrine was labeled uh, as heresy even back during the early centuries uh, in the infancy of the church. So again, we're not saying that Jesus is the father and we're not saying Jesus is the Holy Spirit. What we are saying is there is one God who's revealed himself in three persons, distinct persons, meaning that the father is not the son and the son is not the Holy Spirit. So for this episode, we're talking about the second person of the Trinity, who is Jesus, the Messiah, the Kyrios, the anointed one. He is the one that I'm referring to in this episode. So anthropomorphically speaking, Jesus shares the same DNA as the father. This argument can be further 
buttress about the result of the Nicene Creed or the Nicene Council, rather, held in the fourth century, which was, interestingly enough, overseen by the Emperor Constantine. The council was convened to address the Arian controversy. And by the word Arian, or the name Arian, it is spelled A-R-I-A-N, A-R-I-A-N, for those of you listening out there that would like to do some further research. There was a controversy in the early church, and it was uh, led by Arius, who was an, uh, a, a leader that taught that Jesus was not fully divine, and as a result, he was not equal to the Father. Well, during this council in Nicaea, they rejected this doctrine. Rather than endorse Arianism, they made the teachings of the Bible clear as it relates to the ontological position of Christ. The council concluded that uh, Jesus was made up of the same stuff as the Father. They used the Greek word homoousios to describe Jesus' ontological relationship to the Father. The use of this Greek word homoousios means Jesus was made up of the same substance as the Father or the same stuff. Or one can even say Jesus has the same essence as the Father. And if we were to use another crude analogy, I also have heard some ministers uh, say that if God the Father, and again, this is just metaphorical. This is just an il illustration. But there's, uh, there's, I've heard people say that if God the Father needed a blood transfusion, the only one that can give him one would be Jesus Christ uh, because they're made up of the same stuff. It's very important that we as believers uh, understand this concept of Jesus' equality with the Father. So the resultant creed from this 4th century ecumenical council, which we call the Nazian council, again, it was in the 4th century, read as such. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, for all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one being with the Father, through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. 
We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic, and by the term Catholic, they mean universal church, an apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. In short, Jesus, according to this council's conclusion, is made up of the same stuff as the Father, the same substance. He is essentially God. If the Father, again, needed a blood transfusion, Jesus would be a perfect match. Why? Because they share the same DNA. They share the same fingerprint. But one aspect of this uh, creed, and by creed, it comes from the Greek word credo, which means belief. So whenever you see that word creed, that's what it means. It means belief, uh, teachings that's adhered to. Uh, so when we look at the Nicene Creed written in the fourth century, we see that they are embracing this doctrine of Jesus being God. When they write, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only son of God, eternally begotten of the father, God from God. That's why they wrote that phrase in. He's God from God. Light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the father. So they substantiate and further corroborate the fact that Jesus is not made. He wasn't made by the father as some allude to. When you see that word uh, firstborn, that word is prototokos in the Greek. And it means first in rank. So the New Testament writer, uh, Paul, he's not saying Jesus was born first in God's creation in Colossians 1.15. He's not saying that. What he is saying is, as firstborn, Jesus is first in rank, almost similar to a general, meaning that Jesus is in charge of everything. He's in charge of God's creation. Why? Because he's God, the son. He was there in the beginning during creation with the father. The world was created by Jesus along with the father and the spirit. All three are one. So it, let us digest this fact that Jesus is indeed equal to the father. Then Jesus is called God. John one verses one through 14. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. That's in John 1, 1 through 14. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness had not overcome it. And if, if you read this passage, it's almost bringing you back to the creation uh, narrative. If you read it, the, uh, John is writing 
writing it in a way that conjures up the memory of the Genesis narrative when uh, the existence was void and dark and God through his presence and creation brought light into it. So as we read this, it's very similar to it. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And so instead of just God, as we find in Old Testament, John uses the same imagery and he puts it on Jesus where the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, which is Jesus Christ, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, the, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among among us and in the Greek that term dwelt or dwelling among us is actually uh, the word tabernacle so in the original manuscripts we find that verse 14 reads the word became flesh and tabernacle among us and it's the same imagery of uh, when is Israel was in the wilderness and they uh, will put up the tents uh, and inside the tents was the Holy of Holies and God's countenance will be there and he tabernacle with Israel. Well, in the same way, the New Testament writer John is telling us that Jesus came and he tabernacled among us. So they were eyewitnesses to God, the son being among them and tabernacle with them, just like God was with them in the Old Testament. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. And we find this uh, another passage corroborating Christ's divinity in Philippians chapter two, verses one through six. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So, again, Paul tells us that Jesus essentially is God in terms of his nature. 
Again, he's not the father, but he is the son and he's equal to the father. Are we saying that there are three gods? We're, we're saying we're not saying there are three separate gods. We're saying there's one God who's revealed himself in three persons, three distinct persons. That's what the Bible tells us. Uh, we're, we're not making this doctrine up. It is represented all throughout scripture and whether or not we fully understand how it works is irrelevant. The what matters is it works is in the Bible and there are certain mysteries that we will never unsolve or unravel rather this side of heaven. So we must learn to trust God for who he is and work on the things that we do understand fully. In John eight fifty eight, Jesus identifies himself as God. When he uses the term, I am, the religious leaders attempted to assassinate him because even in the passage itself, it says that they believe that Jesus was making himself equal with the father by using the term, I am. And if you remember that term, I am, can be found in Exodus chapter three, when Moses is called to the burning bush and he's talking to God and he asks God, who should I say sent me? And the Lord responds, tell them that I am sent you. And so we find Jesus in John chapter eight, verse 58, using the same title for himself. Why? Because Paul already revealed to us that him professing to be equal to the father was not uh, him taking anything away from the father because Jesus himself said he must tell the truth. So he told the truth when he used that divine title for himself. I am. He could use that because it was actually Jesus at the burning bush as the angel of Yahweh, the messenger of Yahweh. That's Jesus calling uh, Moses to the side that he may speak to him. And if you go back and read the Exodus narrative in chapter three, you notice that uh, the angel of the Lord calls Moses aside. And how do we know uh, is, is uh, Jesus? Number one, the angel uh, of the Lord in the Old Testament passages, there's numerous of them, is uh, the minister of Yahweh. That's how you translate it in the Hebrew, uh, the messenger of God. And there are numerous passages that identifies uh, Jesus as the messenger of Yahweh in the Old Testament. But our time has come to a close for this episode, and we will continue the topic on the divinity of Christ at another time. And we ask, as we normally do, that you pray for this ministry, that you consider becoming a financial sponsor that we may continue to defend the truth and teach sound doctrine, not just in this nation, but globally. We thank God for you. And remember to do for the truth what others do for a lie. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. 
Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. This is Chris Christensen, and back in 2006, I started a simple project, a project to try and introduce more people to the Bible through Bible study called the Bible Study Podcast. It's a simple name and a simple idea. Each week, every week, we study one chapter of the Bible, talk about what it says and what that might mean for us today. To listen now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for the Bible Study Podcast on your favorite podcast app.